Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We have a guest speaker with us, and we hope that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Well, good morning. It's uh, such, a, such an honor to be here with you today. Uh, this church has some uh, wonderful ministry and uh, wonderful memories for us, uh, many years of uh, coming here and uh, being a part of the church, and uh, we've kind of grown together. I start, We started out as brand new missionaries some of the first times we came here, and to look around new facilities and growth and what God is doing in it, it's just, uh, it's just an honor to be able to be with you all today and just to see what God is doing. And so thank you for putting the kingdom of God first in all you do. It's not just about us. It's about the kingdom of God. It is about people all over the world who've never had a chance to know Jesus. And that's why we're here today. I really, you know, I I enjoy coming for a service where we focus on missions. But having a focus on missions is like having a focus on breathing. You know, we don't really focus on breathing. We just know we have to breathe to live. (laughs) And so every day we wake up, we breathe because we know that's how we live. Missions can't be reduced to a few moments in a year. Missions is the heart of God. It is the heart of God that God so loved the world, not just me, not just my family, not just my community, but God so loved the world that he sent his son. And that is the heartbeat of God. That is the breath of God. And if we are truly children of God, every day we wake up, we have to take that breath. That every day we wake up, we have to take the breath that, God, you gave your son so that all people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people, that every people might stand before the throne of God and worship. That's the heartbeat of God. So when we are here for missions, don't think that this is a part of the church. This is who we are. This is who we are, making sure that everybody has the chance to know the God who changed our lives. That's why we exist. Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Man, that's, uh, that's interesting that you will find throughout Scripture the number one accusation against Jesus was not that he said he's the Son of God. It wasn't that, oh, he's holier than thou. You know, he's just so holy, he's untouchable. The number one accusation against Jesus was this. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus sits with sinners, and he not only sits with them, he actually has a meal with them. He treats them like family. He embraces them as if they were part of our community. And Jesus was accused of that over and over and over in Scripture, that Jesus actually embraced the kind of people that we hate. 
And I am so afraid today that, that if there was an accusation, and there are accusations that can be made against the church today, but I am so afraid today that this accusation nobody is making. That you will not find many people from many segments of society who would say today, those people are our friends. Not many people are accusing us today of being a friend of sinners. We get a lot of accusations that we don't get that one a lot. And let me tell you, we're on good ground when we're accused of things Jesus was accused of. <laughs> and I would say to you today, you should be more worried about sinners thinking you don't care about them than you should be by religious people who will accuse you from sitting with the wrong kind of people. And we are so worried about what people might think about us that we're not worried about what Jesus thinks about us. And let me tell you, Jesus is concerned that we don't eat with sinners enough. Jesus is concerned that most of our life is spent with people just like us. That we spend our lives making sure we're going to be pure so we can get to heaven. That the goal of life is getting to heaven. So, so i got to be pure and holy and, and those kind of people bring me down and hearing that kind of language and, and, and getting that stuff, man, it brings me down. And so my whole life becomes consumed with being the best version of me I can be so I can get to heaven really pure and holy. And let me tell you, that's not the goal of life. The goal of life is to be a warrior. It's not to get in shape so that you look good. It is to get in shape so you can go to battle. <laughs> and there's a difference between muscles that look good and muscles that function. <laughs> you know, bodybuilders have muscles that look good, and then they actually try to run, and they run out of breath in about 10 seconds. And, and then there's people you look at, and you think, man, he can't do it, and then they just can run forever. And they just got that strength. They got that old man strength. They can just do it. And in the church, I feel like we got way too much bodybuilder muscle. We got stuff that looks good. And everybody's saying, man, they're such a good person. And they look so good. And they pray so good. And, 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 but they don't have any muscle for interacting with the world, which is what we're called to do. So Jesus then starts to tell these parables to help them understand. Because they're accusing him. So he says, let me tell you what God's like. He said, God's like this. God's like a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And, and because he's such a good shepherd, every morning when he wakes up, the first thing he does is count the sheep. And, and then one morning he sees one of the sheep is gone. And so literally it says he leaves the 99 in the open country. That is, that's, that's, he leaves them in danger because he cares so much about the one who's lost. He leaves some in danger because he cares about one that's lost. And so it goes out, and Scripture says this. It said, and he searched until. Everybody say until. Man, that, that word is so powerful. He did not search until it got dark. He did not search until he got to the place where he knew the bandits were. 
He didn't search until he came to the place he knew there were wolves and bears and and dangerous animals. He didn't search until he came to a river and it was going to be difficult or until he came to a mountain that was hard to climb. It says the shepherd searched until he found the sheep. Until he found. He didn't stop. He, He kept pursuing until he found the sheep. He was determined. And when he found the sheep, it said he throws him up on his shoulder and he comes back into the village and and he starts to tell them, look, my sheep was lost and now is found. Come and rejoice with me. And there was rejoicing in heaven. I mean, if you really want to get heaven rejoicing, you got to be about the work of the kingdom. Let me tell you, as good as our worship is, it is second rate in heaven. No matter how good we play it, no matter how good we sing it, no matter how good it looks, it is still second, third, fourth rate in heaven. So heaven doesn't hear our worship and get blown away and say, wow, that was so amazing. We don't worship because God needs worship. God doesn't need your worship. I mean, he's not like we are. He's not insecure. He's not sitting up in heaven thinking, you know, I'm feeling bad about myself. Today. Oh, oh, you like me? Oh, thank you. Oh, I'm feeling better. God doesn't need our worship. We worship because we need to worship. We need to acknowledge a creator that's great. We're worshiping because of what we need to acknowledge who we are, the the fragility of our life, to acknowledge how weak we are, to acknowledge how great he is. We worship because of what we need, not because of what God needs. So our worship is not making heaven rejoice. What makes heaven rejoice is when you are about the business of Christ to seek out, to save, and to bring the lost into the kingdom of God. And that's when there's rejoicing in heaven. So there's rejoicing. And then he tells the story about this woman that, that lost a coin. And you can see the value of the coin by the desperation to find it. So it's obvious that this coin represented a lot. It's not just a regular coin. This is how I'm going to feed my kids tomorrow. This is how I'm going to pay the bills. This is if I don't find that coin, we're going hungry. It was desperation. That's how desperate God is to bring the lost back to himself. And it says that she goes and she starts to to search. And again, it says until. She didn't search until it got late. She didn't search until she got tired. She didn't search until she inconvenienced her family. She searched until she found the coin. And when she found the coin, she goes into the neighborhood and starts to shout, I lost my coin and I found it. Come and rejoice with me. And and over and over, Jesus is saying, this is what's happening when I'm sitting with sinners. You're complaining and you're getting upset with me because I'm sitting with these sinners and these tax collectors. But in heaven, there's rejoicing. And you're complaining about what heaven rejoices about. And then he comes to this next story. Now, I want you to notice this, that uh, each of these things are lost for very different reasons. You see, sheep get lost because they're stupid. They're just dumb. Sheep are dumb. And I hate to tell you this, but, but, but you're called sheep. I hate to tell you that, but if I'd have said it, you got upset, but Jesus said it. 
you're sheep, he's the shepherd, and sheep are dumb. I've spent a lot of time with sheep, and I can just tell you they're dumb. I live up in the hills where shepherds are everywhere, and, and sheep are the kind of animal that, uh, that, that they just lose sight. They just put their eyes down, and they start eating. And then they notice a little bit more, and they come over here, and they start eating. And they notice a little bit more, and they come over here and start eating. They just get distracted very easily. And before you know it, the sheep looks up, and he's like, how did I get here? Where's the shepherd? Let me tell you, there's a whole lot of people lost in this world just because they got distracted with good stuff. They, they just put their head down, and they got into the grind of doing their job. They, they got into the grind of some activity. They, they, they're so consumed with paying the bills. They get so consumed with, with uh, somebody that's sick, and they get so consumed with life that life has a way of dragging you away that before you know it, you're just, you look up, and you're like, where did he go? And I'm lost. I don't even know how I got here, but I'm lost. I just know I'm lost, and I know I need to get back. But God is so good that even when we wander away, he comes looking for us. Now, the coin is completely different. A coin is an inanimate object, and the coin can't lose itself. The coin gets lost because of what somebody else did. Somebody misplaced the coin. Somebody stole the coin. Somebody hid the, stone, the coin. The coin can only get lost by the actions of others. And let me tell you, this city is filled with people who are not in the church today because of the actions of others. This, this city is filled today with people who've been hurt by people who carried the name of Jesus. They have been abused and broken and beat down by people who claim to be following Jesus. And they're not in the kingdom of God today because of the actions of others, by, by no fault directly of their own. And they're just so hurt that, that they don't feel they can take a step towards God today. But God is so good that even when you don't feel you can take a step towards Him, God is always taking steps towards you. He's always taking steps towards us. And then you come down to this next story, which is completely different. You see, the son, the parable of the lost son, I don't know what a prodigal is, so I just call it parable of lost son. You remember it's a lost sheep, it's a lost coin, it's a lost son. And sons can also get lost. And the son, one day, but, but he's not lost because he got distracted. He's not lost because of what anybody else did. The son is just a bad person. I mean, the son makes a conscious decision. I'm tired of living under your rules. <laughs> I am tired of waiting on you to die so that I can enjoy life. I mean, isn't that what he's saying? I mean, what he's saying is, is that if, if you're living, I don't get my inheritance. And if I don't get my inheritance, I can't enjoy my life. And so I'm tired of waiting on you to die, so uh, just give it to me now. Boy, that's harsh. How many of you know that's harsh? How many of you can imagine your son coming to you and saying, I, I don't want to wait for you to die. I want to go enjoy life now. Man, that's hard. And so here he is. The son then takes the inheritance and goes off, and the Bible says he wasted on wild living. Man, he's sowing his oats. He is just wasting this money. Until one day, there's a famine. Let me tell you, 
God loves us so much that He's willing to bring famines into our life to drive us back to Himself. That God loves us so much that some of the things we curse are actually the grace of God trying to drive us back to Himself. That God loves you so much that He would rather you suffer a little on earth and be driven back to Him than enjoy comfort now and suffer later. That's how much God loves us. That God loved the Son so much that He allowed a famine to come into the world. And then the son, in the time of famine, he has nowhere else to turn until finally the son ends up with the only job he can find, and that is feeding the pigs. Now, for you and I, I mean, that sounds all right. My dad had two things. He raised pigs, and he was a plumber. So when I smell bad smell, I smell money. I mean, that's money. <laughs> I to this day, when I get a big whiff, I say, man, that's money. That's, there's money to be made there. I mean, things that other people think stink, I think, man, that's just, uh, that's good living. But you got to remember, he's not like me. He's a Jewish man. And for a Jewish man, pork is, I mean, it's untouchable. I mean, like. So for a Jewish man, this isn't good job, good living. This is the lowest. So, so in this parable, the fact that he's with the pigs, Jesus is pointing out he is at the very bottom of the bed. You can't get any lower than he is right now. And at the bottom of the barrel, at the bottom of the well, the Bible says, and he came to himself. And he thought, my father's servants have it better than me. And I know my father would never receive me, but, but I'm going to go back. And maybe my father would take me in just as a servant. and At least I wouldn't have to live here with the pigs. And so he comes to himself and he goes back to the father. And then here's what the Bible says. While he was a long way off. While he was a long way off. You know, I got a little upset this morning. I just confess. I got a little upset. You guys had this, this Keeners meeting, and you get to go when you're 55, and you called it the Senior Citizens Group, and I'm only a couple birthdays away. That's offensive. <laughs> I think you need to move the age up to about 85. I mean, would you say amen? I don't feel like senior citizen yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling a little bit I'm a little bit hurt <laughs> I'm starting to get AARP magazines in the mail and I'm getting hurt I'm sending them back saying you got the wrong address <laughs> I'm a little hurt <laughs> but one thing I know the older I get the less I can see <laughs> amen <laughs> the older I get the le- and unless I'm really looking for it I don't see anything a long ways off And let me tell you, sometimes we talk about the day we found Jesus. You ever ever told people about the day you found Jesus? And and there's only one problem with that. Jesus wasn't lost. (laughs) 
we, we make it sound like Jesus was an old man with dementia lost in the woods. And, and we went looking for him. Jesus, where are you at? We can't find you. Just keep shouting. Maybe I can find you, Jesus. Let me tell you, you didn't find Jesus. But when you were lost, Jesus found you. The sheep didn't get back because he was looking for the shepherd. The coin didn't get back because it was looking for the widow. And the son didn't get back of his own volition. You see, what we see is the father was actively looking. He he wasn't inside the house crying and moaning about my son who's gone. And everything about the first stories would tell us this about the father. Our God is not a God who waits for the lost who come to him. Our God is a God who actively pursues the lost to bring them back to himself. And so you got to imagine when the storm came, when the famine came, that the father started sending his servants out and saying, go out, send out the word to my boy. He's welcome back. Let him, let him know he's out there and he's waiting for his son to come back. And I believe the son came back because he heard the word of the father. And when the father saw him, he didn't wait for him. He ran to him and he embraced him and he welcomed him and called his servants and said, rejoice with me, my son was lost and he is now found. This is the God we serve, a God who actively searches for us. And I don't just know this because I I read it in the Bible. I, I know it because it happened in my life. When I was 20 years old, I was an alcoholic. I came from a broken home. My mom left when I was a teenager. My father left soon after my mom did, and I was alone. I was broken. I was hurting. And in my pain, I turned to drugs. I turned to alcohol. I turned to violence. My life was spinning out of control. And one night, I'm riding home from a bar, and I'm thinking to myself, what's the point of living? And Jesus found me. Jesus found me in that place. He found me. I was so terrified. I'm sitting in my truck, and I felt the presence of the God for the first time in my life. I felt his presence. I knew he was real. I drove my truck home, and I ran inside because, because I didn't know how to respond. I, I didn't know God was there to save me. I thought maybe he's there to kill me. And so I, I ran inside of my house, and I knelt beside my bed. And all night long, from, from 2 in the morning to 10 in the morning, I just knelt there thinking, what am I supposed to do? How do you make it right with God? How, how, you know, what, what can I do? And I didn't know how to pray. So I finally at 10 o'clock, I got back up, went in my truck, drove into my town. First church I saw with the doors open, I drove in, walked in, sat on the front row of the church. I didn't know front row was, you know, reserved for like, kind of like really special people who, who really love Jesus. And so, so I just walked in and sat on the front row. And that morning the preacher was preaching and he was preaching from the book of Revelation and he's talking about red horses and black horses and white horses and pale riders and vials and trumpets. And after an hour of church, I'm, I'm thinking, what's, what's this have to do with me getting right with God? This is, I was so lost. And finally, right near the end of the service, the pastor just stopped speaking. It got just really uncomfortable. And, and, and it caused me to look up and I'm looking at him and he was just dead silent. And then finally he lifted up his head with a smile and he said, Jesus just spoke to me. There's somebody that came here today and you're here because Jesus wants to change your life. And I didn't know how to act in church, so I just jumped up in my seat, raised my hand. I said, that's me. And it took me two steps and I knelt down and I prayed my first prayer. I knew what to pray. I just said, Jesus, I'm tired of doing wrong. 
I want to do what's right. Would you please change my life? And that was 31 years ago that I've walked with the God of miracles, the God who changes lives, the God who sought me out, who found me, who brought me to himself, who gave me new life, who gave me new hope. This is the God that we serve. But the God that was searching for me when he found me, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just me he was concerned about. God loved my family. Three months after I got saved, I was asked by the pastor of this little church to come and preach to this church. And without me knowing it, I had never preached before, didn't know how to preach. But without me knowing it, he went all through the town and told everybody. I'm from a small town in South Georgia. Told everybody I got saved. Told everybody they had to come to the church and hear me. This was on a Sunday night, and there's nothing else to do in my town. So everybody showed up. So there's about 20 guys I was in the bar with a few months earlier, and, and uh, there's some old girlfriends there. I hadn't broke up with a couple of them yet. It's like pressure. I'm like, oh, sorry about that. You know, like, man, this is pressure. And, and I got to the front of the church, and on the second row, my mom was there. I had not seen my mom since the day she walked out of our house. My dad, my, uh, my, my brother and sister-in-law were there. My uh, grandmother and grandfather were there. My dad was the only one that... He couldn't get to come to church, and he just told them all, hey, least you can come do is come hear him. And that morning, I preached the very first sermon I ever preached. I just said, the same God who changed my life, he's here, and he'll change your life. And my mother was the very first one. She ran down, gave her heart to the Lord. My mother is teaching a Sunday school class this morning in Georgia. She's married to a deacon in a church and has traveled all over the world with us. She intercedes for us every day. She loves Jesus. Uh, my brother and sister-in-law came down and gave their heart to the Lord. My brother's a deacon in the church today and leads a youth group. My, uh, my nephew is on his way to work with us in India today, he and his wife. And my dad ended up three years before he died, gave his heart to the Lord and pastored the last three years of his life. Jesus wasn't just searching for me, but he was asking with me to join with him in his search. It wasn't just me that he was searching for. But when he finds us, he asks us to join with him in the search. I went to India to join with him in the search. You know, people have always asked me, how did you know God called you to India? And I'll be honest, I'm not sure he did. I just volunteered. I had a I had a class with a teacher who used to be a former missionary to India, Sister Ruth Bruce, and she was talking about India, and one time after class, I just said, you know, Sister Bruce, this, you're telling me there's 500,000 villages in India that, that have no church, a billion people that have never heard the gospel? I said, it's not right, and she said, I agree with you, and I said, somebody's got to do something about it, and she said, I agree with you, and I said, well, how about me? She said, how about you? I said, well, I'm ready to go, send me. She said, I don't have any money. And so she introduced me to a missionary, David Grant, bought me a ticket and went to India and have been there ever since. Maybe one day God will call me, but until then, I'll just, I'll just keep serving. The call of God is not some mystical experience about geography. The call of God is the revelation that Jesus Christ died so that all people would live. The call of God is go into all the world and preach the gospel to all people. The call of God is go and make disciples of all nations. You don't have to know the geography to be obedient to the will of God. You don't have to know the specific place to be obedient. You just have to go and do the work of God. Not long ago I was in India and I'm, I'm going up this hill. 
and it's raining, and it's just, I mean, it's cold. And, and I come past this little hut, and as I'm coming up the hill, apparently the guy inside heard us coming, and he calls us inside. And, I mean, we are just freezing cold. We are just soaked to the bone. And uh, let me tell you, the poor are so much more hospitable than the rich. <laughs> They're so hospitable. Man, this, this man has nothing. He's sitting on the floor. He's got a little fire, and he, he invites me and moves his kids out of the way and puts me up next to the fire and uh, starts making me some tea. And we're just talking, and as we're talking, I ask him, I said, have you ever heard about Jesus? And he almost, almost dropped the teapot. And he said, I used to have his book. Said, years ago I was in the town, and somebody gave me his book. And I read just a little of it, and then one day somebody stole it from my house. He said, I've always wanted to know more. Tell me about Jesus. And I start to tell him the story of Jesus, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling him what Jesus has done. And, and while we're talking, he said, uh, he said my wife is, is, is sick, and, and you could barely, there's no light inside, just the light of the fire, and, and there's just smoky in this room because there's no, it's just an open fire in a house, so it's just smoke all over. We're sitting on this uh, mud floor, and, and I look back, and I let my eyes adjust, and you can see his wife just kind of crunched over in the back laying down. He said, she's been sick for weeks and can't move. So we go back there, we pray over his wife. And then uh, he gives me some tea, and I tell him, I said, listen, I'm going to be coming back this way tomorrow, and my friends up ahead of me have, a, have, have Jesus' book, and I'm going to bring it back to you tomorrow. And he said, that's great. So the next day, we, we come back. And as we come into the visit, he comes running out of the house. And he said, Jesus did it. He healed my wife, and he just embraced me and brought me in the house. Gave him the word of God, and he and his family called on the name of the Lord. It is the God who searches that we join with him in his search. And there's people like that all over the world that God has already made the way. You read over and over in Scripture about peoples whose heart were already ready. God had already gone. He had already done the work, and he just needed people like us to follow up. And to point the way to the coming of the Lord. But remember, this whole story, it's, the story was not told, these parables. It, it's really not about that. The parables aren't about this. Remember, the parable is about the Pharisees. Remember, the point of all of this is to say, here's what God is all about. But then here's what you guys are about. So then you bring the Pharisees, you bring the older brother in, into the scene. Last act of the play, right? Now we bring in the chief protagonist. We bring in the older brother. We bring in the one this story is really about. And here's the father. He's so excited. Man, my son has come back, and I'm so happy, and I'm rejoicing. And then the older brother hears about it. And it says he gets angry. He doesn't even want to talk about it. And so the father goes and finds him and says, Son, why are you upset? Your brother was dead. He's alive again. He was lost. He's been found. We've got to rejoice. Said, what about me? What about me? I mean, everything that's left is actually mine. You're wasting my inheritance now. I've served you faithfully. And here you are rejoicing over that kind of person. What about us? 
And here is Jesus pointing out to the Pharisees that the very thing the Father rejoices over, you're getting angry about. The very thing that brings rejoicing in heaven are the kind of things you're getting upset about. Man, if we get those kind of people here, they're going to mess up the carpet, and, and, and man, they're going, to, they're going to cost so much money, and they're not really good tithers like us, and they don't smell like us, and, and, and we don't trust them like we can trust each other. If we get those kind of folks in, man, it's going to mess things up. You don't have the heart of God. Let me tell you, this may hurt some of your feelings, but Jesus loves terrorists. And you better be glad Jesus loves terrorists. If Jesus didn't love terrorists, you and I wouldn't be here today. You see, there was this terrorist one time, and he was bad. He was the worst of his day. He was so bad, he wasn't just killing innocent people, he was killing church people. And he used to go church to church and would drag people out of the church and have them thrown in prison. Matter of fact, the very first martyr of the church was killed in the authority of this man. And this man, Saul, was the chief terrorist of his day. But Jesus loves terrorists. (laughs) And this terrorist who brought so much destruction to the church, who was such an enemy of the church, Jesus still loved him. And Jesus still sought him out. And one day, as he's on the road to go to another church, to destroy another church, Jesus meets him and changes his life. And Saul the terrorist became Paul the apostle to the Gentiles. And all of us who are here today, not of Jewish background, are here today because Because God loves terrorists. (laughs) Kind of hurts our feelings, doesn't it? I mean, why save that kind of guy and use that kind of guy to bring us? Let me tell you, God loves people you hate. God loves people you fear. He loves people you despise. Our God knows our weakness, our frailty. God knows every one of us, the sinful nature in every one of us drives us to do things against His will, drives us away from Him. And wherever we go in that path, God is still searching no matter how far we go. He's still searching to bring us back to Himself. But why don't we join God in the search? We don't join him because it's difficult. Let me tell you, searching's hard. I live up in the hills, and when a sheep gets lost, sometimes it would be easier for a shepherd just to count his losses and to say, you know, I got 99 here. I still got a good living. And where that sheep went, there are leopards. To get to that sheep, I'm going to have to go down some pretty hard roads. Getting that sheep is going to cost me. But the good shepherd always searches for the sheep. The good shepherd always searches for the sheep. It would have been very easy for the woman to say, you know what, I got enough money. I can do without it. My kids can do without a meal. We can do without it. 
But the woman who loves her family, she doesn't let her children suffer. She searches until she finds it. If I got to work three jobs, if, if I got to do overtime, whatever I have to do to, to make sure my kids are taken care of, I'm going to do it. And this is the God who loves us. The God who embraces us, who searches until. You know, when our, when our veterans that we uh, honored today, you know, you'll find that recruitment always goes up in time of war, right? Because uh, after 9-11, there were lines at the recruitment center. Because there were people who realized, man, our liberty is at threat. Man, this, we, we may lose everything. And somebody's going to have to pay the price to keep us free. And at times of war, people line up. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the signs of the times all point that we are at an end-time battle in the spiritual world. And the fact is that we don't have people lining up to serve in this end-time battle. Because spiritually we're dead. I mean, after 9-11, there were literally People standing in line, knowing that that line led to Afghanistan. They were standing in line, knowing that line might lead to Iraq. They were standing in line, knowing that this line may cost me my life. But I believe in freedom, so I'm staying in line. And I may end up in Hawaii, thank you Jesus, but if, if I end up in Afghanistan, I'm still in line. Wherever the line takes me. And yet, today, if some of our young people were to come forward and say, you know what, I feel like God's speaking to me to go to Afghanistan. And so, I'm going to start looking into how I can get there. I can see a lot of well-meaning people wanting to pull them aside and saying, hey, don't you know they kill people there? Don't, don't you know how dangerous it is there? Don't throw your life away. There's, there's people who need Jesus right here. Just stay here. Just stay here. Nobody ever tells the person in the military line, just stay here and be a policeman. <laughs> you need both, right? But you're not trying to pull people out of the line. But as soon as somebody gets in line to take the freedom of Christ to the ends of the world, it offends us a little bit. Because we don't have the heart of Jesus. We, we have the heart of a Pharisee who says, no, it's just about us. We, we got to take care of us first. We, we, can't we got lost people here too. Let me tell you, there's a difference between the lost person that I drove by on the way to church today and the lost person I know in India. There's a difference. You see... A couple months ago, I was going up to this village area. I got in my truck. I live about 7,000 feet up in the mountains. And I got in my truck, and I drove for 10 hours up mountain roads till I got to the end of the road. Drove through dozens of villages, stopped and talked to people on the way. I get to the end of the road, 
get out of my truck, put my backpack on, me and a couple guys, and we walked for 10 days. We just did a big loop where every day we went to a couple of villages and we talked to people and we shared with people and we came around this big circle back to the truck. After that, the next day, we get in our truck and I rode home by a different route by about 12 hours, drove in through dozens of villages. In 12 days, two days of driving, 10 days of walking, talking to hundreds of people, walking through dozens of villages, I did not meet one person who knew the name of Jesus. I did not cross one church in 12 days. Not one church. You see, we have something they don't have, and it's called access. We have something they don't have, you. You're in Tallahassee. You see, this morning to come to church, I got in my car to drive here from the other side of town, and I rode by dozens of churches on my way to this church. Most of you, to get to this church today, you had to cross six, seven dozen other churches to get to this church. As you were in the car, you could have flipped the channels and you could have heard somebody worshiping the Lord, somebody talking about Jesus. This morning when you woke up, if you cut on the TV, there was probably somebody preaching at you from the TV. Tomorrow when you go to work, most of you have a co-worker who knows Jesus, a classmate who knows Jesus. And these aren't bad things. These are blessings that we have called access to the gospel. And every day, you should thank the Lord Jesus Christ that you have multiple opportunities every day to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. You should say, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be born in this place where I can have so much access to the gospel. But what's different from the lost here and the lost there is simply this thing of access. There are no levels of lostness. They're all lost. But there are levels of access. And let me tell you, the world is waiting. And when you make a faith promise, what you're doing is you're trying to level the plane of access. Saying, I'm grateful that I can hear, but what about those who can't hear? We need to send somebody. Because the Bible says this. Everyone, say with me everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But you cannot call on someone you don't believe in. And you cannot believe in someone you've never heard of. And you can't hear unless somebody tells you. And you can't tell unless a whole lot of people send you. So when we go on mission trips, when we, when we are investing in faith promise, what we are doing is we are doing our part of sending so that somebody can tell, so that they can hear, so that they can believe, so that they can call on the name of the Lord. It's why we're here today, to level the field. I'm glad we have so many churches here where people can hear. But 500,000 villages in India today are waiting for the first church. The first opportunity. A great missionary statement once said this, and I, I don't know that I would hold it true, but it's a good statement. Nobody should hear the gospel twice before everybody gets to hear it once. Now, I'm glad God is merciful. And I'm glad I got multiple opportunities. How many of you say, thank you, Jesus, I got more than one chance? So I'm glad I got to hear it more than once. 
But I do need to realize the blessing I have to hear it more than once, to make sure I do everything I can do so everybody can not just hear it once, but everybody can hear it multiple times in multiple ways so that the kingdom of God is expanded. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Years ago, I used to go up into this village area, and I'm going to close with this. And I, I used to go up in this area. There's a valley up on the border of China. There's an unreached people group there called the Munciari people. Never had a church. This is a, a group of people, over 100,000 people living in these valleys. Not one church, not one believer. The kingdom of God has not come. 2,000 years after Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, they're still waiting for the very first, 2,000 years later. And we used to walk these valleys, and we would go house to house and preach. But it's hard. When people have no foundation for the gospel, it's hard to wrap your mind around something you've never heard before. And so we just kept going back, and we just kept preaching, and we just kept going, and we kept praying, and we kept believing. And it seemed like nothing was happening. And then one day, Three young people showed up at my house. And I asked them, I said, well, where are you from? They said, we're from the Munciati Valley. I said, well, how did you get here? And the brother, it was a brother and two sisters, the brother said, I started having dreams recently. And Jesus keeps coming to me in my dreams. And I want to know him. And I went and asked somebody, and they said, you, you, you're the one that can help me to know how to find Jesus. So we start telling them about Jesus. As we start telling them about Jesus, his sister hits the floor into a demonic rage. And then the brother said, oh yeah, and also my sister has problems too. I said, well, that's, that's obvious. So we start praying for the sister. And God just set her free. And she stood up and said, this is the First, she said, I felt like I've been living in a cloud for years. And my mind is free and I have peace for the first time in years. And we prayed and the, that brother and the two sisters all gave their heart to the Lord that day. And they went on to become the very first pastors. He is now a pastor. All three of his sisters are married to pastors. And that family became the first fruits of that people coming to the Lord. I mean, this is, this is in our lifetime. This is, this is very recent stuff of a people being saved. And then her father and mother gave their hearts to the Lord. Last year, the father passed away. He was old. He'd served well. He came to know Jesus a few years before he died. The family left me his jacket. He had this homespun. He was a shepherd. He had a homespun wool jacket that he always wore. And the family said he wanted me to have it. And the first day I put it on, I put it on and reached down in the pocket, and it was filled with gospel tracts. <laughs> that in his last year, everywhere he went, he carried these tracts with him and, and gave tracts to people and shared with him. So the day we buried him, the Hindus won't let us bury close to the town, so, so we had to go way down the mountain and, and dig a hole where we're going to bury him. So we went down, we got a hole dug, come up to get him, and a hailstorm starts. And it's like golf ball size hail. It was, 
it's the worst hell storm I've ever seen in the hills. It's just a deluge of hell and rain. And we're trying to carry this casket down the hill. We're just getting pelted, and we're raining. We're slipping. We're falling all over the place. We got mud all over us. We finally get down to the hole we dug, and now it's filled with water and ice, and we can't put the coffin in. And so we got to get down on our hands and knees, and we're just digging this thing out with our hands and knees. Just, and now I'm just, just soaking wet. I'm just covered head to toe in mud. Finally, we get enough of it out because you got to bury it deep enough because the leopards and dogs will come and dig it out. So we, we can't just put it on the top. you got to dig it down. So we, we finally we get it down in there, and then we have to shovel with our hands all this mud. And when we're finished, man, I'm just, just covered. Just, just like it, it's just a bad day. And I'm standing there. I'm trying to get my hands clean enough so I can read a scripture, so I can pick up my Bible. And there's nowhere to wipe. And I'm just standing there. I'm just thinking, Lord, just, man, what a day, Lord. And all I did was just lift up my head. When I lifted up my head, I could almost hear it. Because on that day, a prophecy was fulfilled. In the book of Revelation, it tells us this two times. Around the throne of God, there were people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every people, every nation. And at that moment, I could hear the sound of rejoicing in heaven. Because in that moment, a people who had never sat around the throne of God, in a language that had never been used around the throne of God, Jesus Christ was receiving the reward of His sacrifice. That He died for every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. And in that moment, I went from despair to rejoicing. Rejoicing. And today among that people, He's not alone around the throne. There are others who have joined him around the throne today. Simply because churches like you sent somebody like me to join with Jesus in the search. We can do it if we want to do it. We can do it if we want to do it. Will you join him? It's not easy. There's suffering, there's pain, but will you join him in his search with what matters to him? Would you stand with me? Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.